0: this show on a sour note um, something that something that is deeply distressing to us all which is that uh, filmstruck is being shut down and uh, that could uh, could have gotten on that on the barely would have been able to get that on the last show if we hadn't recorded it a little bit earlier well, yeah so uh, yeah, this is about a week ago. Filmstruck shut down by Warner,
1: of course.
0: It's going to happen no. in November, and it's it's an it's the AT and T thing, right? AT and T, Time Warner mm-hmm. merging, and as always happens with these mergers, the uh, the new owner or new partner says uh, we got to see what we can cut, and so all those guys that are, that are that are you know born and bred in these in these MBA mindsets, mm-hmm. they just start looking for things to cut, and they they've looked at all of the warner digital initiatives and they just aren't pulling their weight it's not
1: a matter of a lack of profitability as you say it's matter of it's not profitable enough. enough
0: and in this case you know we have to remember the and this is the i've complained about this for years As have other people, if you've ever read the book "Bean Bean Counters and Car Guys" by Bob Lutz, who used to run GM, and I get it—you know, Bob Lutz was not the greatest CEO. But the argument he makes is, at least I'm a car guy. I loved cars, and the guys who built the car companies, like the people who built the movie studios. Loved the thing that they were making. Yeah. Uh, and um, there was
1: a Ford running that Ford company until, you know,
0: d- 10 years ago. And when the bean counters come in, it's all interchangeable. You know, you could, you could run Pepsi, you could run, uh, you know, Hewlett Packard, or you could run Tyson Meats. It doesn't matter. It's all the same. And they come into the movie business and they, they see something like Filmstruck and they, they don't realize that there are a lot of people. Attached to this, and uh, they are attached to it because they love it. Whether they're on the on the film struck management and curation end or on the consumer end, they love it, and it's not losing money. So why why do this to us? Because you have a library. You were saying before the show, all those movies are now just going to sit there yeah. and being, in, and no one's doing anything with them in an air so. conditioned
1: vault. It, it, I think it seems to them like they're not in the movie business because you know they're not making movies. These are movies that already exist. Yeah. They're old movies. I think they do the very sort of obvious thing of um, looking at uh, the youthful audience and saying, you know, the youth are not going to want to see these movies, Uh, and I and I think they simply see them as dead weight.
0: Yeah, they're wrong. They're they're incredibly wrong, and uh, it's free content for crying out loud. It's been paid for, and it's paid for itself many times over. So you're, you know, I I get it. You want to make new stuff and always be on the cutting edge, but at a certain point. You get to a place where there's so much content on Netflix and and Hulu and these other services now that people can't find it all. Yeah, uh, it's easy to find things that are curated for you on a site where everything is the cream of the crop.
1: Yep, yep, you can't go wrong. So
0: uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna chase this down. I've already sent out emails to uh, all these uh, various entities and the people that I was dealing with, and I'm gonna I'm gonna chase it all down and see if I can get some answers. I know everybody, you know, if you're. If you're being paid by if your paycheck is still there and you're still being paid by AT and T, Time Warner, you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you. Yeah. Uh, you're you're gonna you're gonna zip it up and and protect your job. But I think I can get some people to uh, confide in me off the record, so I'm gonna see what I can do and uh, get as much information as I can. Obviously, our hope is that they uh, that something when the when the Time Warner, AOL, AT and T, whatever else you want to plug into that corporate name. When they finally launch their streaming service, which apparently now will come after the Disney service and before the Apple service, uh, there will be uh, hopefully a place where you can access all of this. Yeah. It's all there. It's digitized. It's ready to stream. It's sitting on hard drives. Uh, the pipes are there. The access is there. the The people to curate it are there. I, I can't imagine why they wouldn't make that a part of it. Mm. But the thing is, now you've cut everybody loose you know that audience isn't being transitioned over as it was with the Warner uh the, the Warner archive audience when they folded that into Filmstruck now you're cutting these people loose and if you want them to come back to the service you got to go scrape them back together uh, all over again and I'm sure that's as simple as just going down the Filmstruck subscriber list and sending us all an email but still you got to you got to win me back
1: mm. yeah well you know I, it's um it's a, it's a vexing sort of it's, – it's just puzzling. You, know? you, you look at this and you're like, what, what the heck is going on? But then again, the same thing happened uh, to the studios 10 years ago. They, yeah. they all started to go away. All of those sort of like little mid-range um, It was in 2000, 2005
0: and 2006. We lost Fine Line. We lost uh, Warner Art Independent. Oh, yeah. We, yeah, lost, yeah. Uh, yeah. we lost Picture House. We lost – Roadshow. Yeah, all of them. They, they all went away. Paramount Classics, yeah. Miramax. They all went away in about two, two and a half years except for – Fox Search, Light Focus, and uh, Sony Classics.
1: Yeah. And, 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 that's and they, they sort of concentrated on comedies, but all those other ones that made those sort of mid range uh, dramatic films. Yeah. Uh, but you, but you, you know what? Those films, in terms of all profitable, all those movies made money. Yeah. But they don't make the kind of profits that the Marvel movies make. And they pointed everything at that. Uh, bringing all of that to DC Universe, to Marvel Universe, uh, 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 up at Universal, the, mo- the, the Universe of Monsters, yeah. which turned out to be a mess. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, there's and a certain the, kind of filmmaking that simply has migrated to streaming services.
0: And it's important that we understand something, which, frankly, Peter Guber tried to make us understand when he was my professor a million years ago at UCLA because he kind of saw it coming. <laughs> uh... emphasizing that you're you're not in the movie business mm. you're you're in the movie bi- and the soundtrack and the game and the tie-in business and it all wraps together and yeah. that was not something that you want to hear when you're an aspiring film student you don't yeah. want to think about that but I- in a sense uh... marvel movies and look we have you know we have uh, i have a five-year-old daughter and we go to disneyland on a regular basis uh... with our, our passes uh... and um... The, the, you know, they have a Bug's, a Bug's World was the part of California Adventure where you had all these toddler-oriented rides and attractions based on A Bug's Life. Mm-hmm. Well, a Bug's Life is a generation old now. Anyone who grew up on A Bug's Life is probably not into A Bug's Life right now. They're taking their toddlers there, and those toddlers have no connection to the movie. Right. So they killed off that part of the park, and it's being turned into a Marvel area now. Now they already took the, the, the Tower of Terror away from the Twilight Zone theme and turned that into a Guardians of the Galaxy thing. So now that's going to bleed over in all this other marvel theme stuff. And I am reminded every time we walk past that under-construction area and the new Star Wars land, which opens up next year, that they are not making Star Wars and Marvel movies because they love the movies. They're making them because they drive all these other aspects mm. of the business.
1: It, it, it's a bizarre thing, though, because you and I both know that at Disneyland, Disney World, which is where I used to go, being from the Midwest, yeah, years, yeah. Um, uh, A, you, you more or less had the same sort of experience and yeah. Mickey and, 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 and all sure, this kind of yeah. stuff. And, and this lasted for how many generations? I mean, you know, uh, six, seven, eight generations sure. from, uh, from, from conception. Uh, passed along from father to uh, from you know parents to children to more children to more children, but now no, right? So all those rides that you and I both rode on as children at mm-hmm. Disneyland, Disney World, your – and and will not, you know. I mean, a few of them are hanging around, Pirates of this and all that kind of stuff, but about every generation or so, they're gonna swap out now, mm-hmm. and and it won't be a thing of where. It's the same experience through generations going back 30, 40, 50, 60 years. It won't be. I'm sure Mickey will be around, but much of it is going to always change because it will be the media that drives the thing, not the thing that drives the media.
0: I mean, I know our, our, our listeners who have been with us a long time have a particular point of view on this, and, and they wouldn't be with us if they didn't. But uh, go ahead and email us at gods at or gods at either one. Or go on to either the CineGods page or the the DigGods page on Facebook and um, let us know, is it possible, this is something else we were talking about before the show, is it possible still to get significant numbers of people of all ages and backgrounds and nationalities and creeds and races and ages and socioeconomic status from all different countries and corners of the globe to congregate around a single thing? Is it possible to get all these people to find meaning and satisfaction and um, entertainment in their lives with the same product, the same song, the same movie, the same TV show, the same book, the same something? Is Or, or are we now such a fragmented, digitally compartmentalized society that... Uh, that everybody goes somewhere else. Everybody finds their own little little corner of the globe and uh, and just sequesters themselves and and says to hell with everybody else. because well, that's not know, good.
1: In the movies, I, this is going to be difficult. Um, look, we we still have a World Cup. We still have true. A, um, that's true. Uh, the Olympics every four or yeah. less than four now because they they limit it. You know. So yeah, yeah. All right, that stuff is still floating around out there. I, I suppose in the West, uh, the United States anyway. The world uh, the World Series is going on right now. Give yeah. a damn about it, but there are a lot of people who do. Sure. Same thing with that Super Bowl, NBA uh, championship, yes, yeah, yeah, stuff like that. So you you'll have these, but with with cinema, this kind of entertainment, yeah, where it streams and television and this that and the other thing. No, I don't think so. You're not going to get you're not going to get thirty million people watching an episode of Mash, or yeah. Dallas, or any of these things. I mean, you know, you and I, I mean, dude, you know what's weird? I know. I didn't know you then, but I know that you and I watched the final episode of Magnum PI together. Of course, we, we did. were on. We, 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 but I know sure. we did. I know we did. Um, yeah. yeah. So you know, I don't know. Can you do that again? I don't think so. No,
0: it's mm. it's it may, makes me sad. But honestly, email us, hit us with an email, or post something on one of the pages, and and uh, we want to hear from you. Have have this discussion with uh, with the listeners because it's important. We we you know want to know what you think. Mm. It's important. All right. Uh so let's let's move along here uh and and try to <laughs> try to pull ourselves out of our doldrums a little bit. Uh, I got a few kid viddy things I want to uh want to knock out real uh, real quickly. Um we've got uh, Pinkalicious pink and Peterific. From the from the ridiculous to the sublime or vice versa. <laughs> uh Best Pink Present. This is a PBS kids show. Uh this is perfectly good for go- boys and girls. Most of them kind of skew one way or the other now. My, again, my daughter, not really into this. She's still very much into Sarah and Duck and uh Peppa Pig, which we're gonna mention in a second. Sarah and Duck has new seasons, by the way. We're we're not getting that on uh Sarah and Duck has never been on DVD. We get that off of Amazon streaming. And, um, you know, that's the way of the future, I guess. Anyway, four stories in here, including the very adorable Glitterizer. And then also on the uh, PBS Kids front is uh, from Super Y, Little Bo Peep and Her Sheep. Uh, or rather, The Adventures of Little Bo Peep and Her Sheep. Look, Super Y is just uh, junior superhero uh, stuff to teach you learning and reading, and, uh, and and that's it. It's all very oriented towards reading, which I am going through on a whole different level now, and uh, it's fascinating watching kids learn to read. Uh, we've also got, on the kind of PBS front, uh, but it's a world unto itself, Sesame Street, Elmo's World, Elmo Explores. This is just more stuff from Elmo's World on all kinds of stuff, colors and, and cooking and painting and all kinds of just fun stuff. Perfectly great for adults to watch as well, uh, including they've got um, three episodes of Elmo's World on here and then two episodes of the Furchester Hotel. Very, very funny, very clever, very uh, very referential. I always enjoy that stuff. Uh, from the DC end of things this is DC Superhero Girls Legends of Atlantis. This is an original uh, movie which skews younger, but i I enjoy the superhero girls because it's all about girl power, and uh, girls need superheroes and superheroines as well in this case, uh and it's all you know it's all uh, aqua girl world related or, or rather aquaman they're helping Aquaman in this case, and uh, Siren and Mira are the uh, are the the Atlanteans that are that sort of uh, team up with Wonder Woman and Batgirl and Supergirl, and uh, it's all good. Yeah. it's all good. And then uh, Peppa Pig, S.T.A.R.S. Can't go wrong. Cannot go wrong with Peppa Pig. This is, uh, this inclu- S.T.A.R.S., of course, is the anchor episode on here where they go to the moon. And uh, you get Grampy Rabbit's lighthouse and Daddy Pig's birthday. And uh, Delphine Donkey is introduced in one of the episodes here, Trip to the Moon. Uh, so this is, you know, just more episodes of Peppa, 12 episodes in total. If you love Peppa Pig like, like we do in our house, you, you get it. You know, it's the reason that my daughter says, water instead of water and she can say water but she prefers to say water and it's funny you're, you're, style. You're, you're gonna love this we we gotta you know they do these little reports where they evaluate your kids early on and and we got one that said uh, they came back and uh, with respect to her speech said sometimes sounds as if she speaks with a british perhaps a new england accent <laughs> i thought that we laughed we thought that was so funny uh, we're like, yeah, They're being very attentive though. You gotta love those teachers. No, you do. Yeah. And 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 we explained. We're like, yes, that's in, that's intentional. We did that on mm-hmm. purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah, because we're we're snobs. Uh, and then a couple from Nick Junior here. The uh, you know what? Um, this one I'm gonna save for the uh, the holiday show. I'm gonna set that aside. So the only one I'm gonna talk about here is uh, Nick Junior Top Wing top so the the angry birds phenomenon went away very very quickly uh, cuz it's a game it's not a tv show it's not movies it, you mm. can't really expand that but but oh look what's on comet behind you it's mad max oh fantastic <laughs> that's great tim's got the tv on in the background it just happens to be mad max and now mm. i'm not going to pay attention to the yeah, show can't go wrong Anyway, uh, but Nick Jr. was smart, and they said, you know, there's something to this Angry Birds thing. Maybe if we actually took a general bird-oriented idea and got rid of all the game trappings and did our own thing, and we're going to come up with a team top wing about all these, these these cool little birds, and they got they wear helmets, and they're learning. It's like Top Gun for birds. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's all about learning. So you use that like Super Y does for reading. You use this to kind of teach kids about all kinds of other things and, you know, safety and, and whatnot. So um, it's really, really quite good. Uh, it's very, very clever. Very, very clever. I give them all the credit in the world. And, uh, you know, here, let me knock out a couple of... A couple of docs as well, because most of what we're doing today is old movies, new movies, and foreign. Ah yes. So we're gonna here, I'll just uh I'll uh, I'll hit off some of these uh PBS things. Uh three PBS titles, Our Man in Tehran. Um This is actually really, really uh, quite timely. So one of the things I just recently did Film Week and talked about On Her Shoulders, Mm, which is uh, a doc about uh, Nadia, the Nobel Peace uh, Peace winner. Yes, uh, Yazidi, formerly a sex slave and now a Nobel winner and and an activist for her people. And... um, as part of this wave of documentary attention to uh, a, a lot of the hot spots in the Middle East and, and throughout the world that have sort of been, uh, I don't know, uh, not cast aside, but they've, uh, they've been neglected, mm. uh, Syria being one of them uh, and, and Iran certainly being another one. So uh, we're getting these stories now, stories that we didn't even know about this before. And this is about uh, Thomas Erbrink. Who was um, who? Who covered uh, all Iranian act everything inside Iran as a bureau chief for uh, the New York Times, and um, he is still there, and he is one of the only journalists from any Western outlet, publication, network, or anything. Who is able to be there and uh, and and cover the things that go on there so that we have at least one source to give us accurate news from things that happen inside iran it 's so utterly crucial it 's not like iran is a is an unimportant country so um this really this is a frontline documentary that that just goes does as good of a job as you can in going behind what he does without jeopardizing what he does if that makes sense uh, so anyway it is um it's it's pretty darn interesting. And if you consider the geopolitical challenges in, in doing this, Frontline once again outdoes themselves. Uh, we have uh, Art in the 21st Century, Season 9, also from PBS, which is uh, a globe trotting series that looks at uh, creativity as it exists in the world today. This thing has won uh, Peabody Awards and continues to be really, really interesting. In this particular uh, season, we go to Berlin, Johannesburg, and San Francisco. And find all kinds of really fascinating artists and interesting ways in which they express themselves culturally and individually It's really, really good. Uh, another very timely front line I don't know how they pump these things out so quickly, uh, just right on the backs of uh of the news, but separated children at the border the uh, the whole uh, border thing that happened not too many months ago, and uh, may wind up happening again, depending. Uh, but anyway, this is uh, this personalizes a lot of the stuff of the families that were, were there, and it, it gets into the policy behind it. It gets into the people, the border patrol agents, the, the all of the different uh, colliding and conflicting cross purposes that are a part of uh, immigration and border policy in the United States. Very, very interesting. And it, uh, it, it asks difficult questions of everyone on all sides. A lovely documentary from Zeitgeist via Kino Lorber is "Love Cecil: uh, The Life of Legendary Photographer Cecil Beaton." This is from uh, Lisa. Love that doc! It's so good, isn't it? I well, mean, well, he, he—he was a character. Oh, such well, yeah. it wouldn't be wouldn't be an interesting doc if, yeah. well, if he wasn't. Yeah, yeah. And he was know. not
1: liked by a lot
0: of people. Yeah, and and <laughs> for good and for good reason. Yeah, frankly, he was, an, he was an ass. Yeah, uh, for good reason. But but uh, a brilliant, uh, you know. Absolutely brilliant. Designer and and everything else. So Lisa Imordino Vreeland, who previously did the documentary on uh, Diana Vreeland, uh, is is the the genius behind this documentary, which is an absolutely wonderful uh, look narrated by Rupert Everett at why he was so influential and so dynamic and why he was so damn disliked. Um, Get some great deleted scenes here as well. But, I mean, people interviewed here who give all kinds of fascinating background inside, uh, and inside information. Uh, it's really really great. So, uh, but the fun, the interesting thing about Cecil Beaton is primarily for movie fans. Yeah. He's basically known as a costume designer. Mm. And you probably know him mainly for his costumes of Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady. But uh, principally he was um, you know, he was a legendary photographer and uh, he you know, he just had a had a foot in all all these different uh, artistic endeavors. And had so many different facets to his life, and was so kind of uh so typical of a certain very uh effete hollywood uh hoity toity artsy kind of intellectual of his era, but uh, nonetheless really an extraordinary figure, and uh so much to to cover here, which they do and uh it's beautiful it's quite beautiful, really really good doc and then lastly is master. There are a million movies out there called Master. So uh, this is the one. uh, It's a documentary from Cinema Libre, and the subject is Master Zhu Ting Zhu. That's Z-H-O-U-T-I-N-G-J-U-E. Master Master, uh, Zhu Ting Zhu is a healer who specializes in the art of Qigong, which is related to Kung Fu and Tai Chi, And, um, this is a, not just a look at him and what he does, but it actually, um, follows him, sort of gives you a background on his life. Uh, and then you follow him, um, from San Francisco back to China. And, uh, it is a, it's, you know, where he sort of reconnects with his, his, his past and, uh, it's, it's, it's quite moving and very interesting and has a, a lot of little sidebars and, uh, and subplots that you would not necessarily expect. It's really one of the more interesting Cinema Libre films I've seen in a very, very long time. So uh, bravo to them. And it has uh, three interesting deleted scenes that I don't think they should have deleted. So. There's that. Wow, wow, wow! All right, Tim. Uh, music. Uh,
1: well, yeah. Since we've got a couple a couple of these uh, docs here, we might as well take a look at them. Uh, the first is Melanie live at the Mountdown Festival 2007 uh, in the UK. It had been it had not been since 1987. Yep, uh, was the last time that Melanie uh, performed in the UK. She's, she's of course the. Uh, The uh, folk singer, uh, going back to the late 60s, they called her the sort of female Bob Dylan of the day. She was uh, um, uh, outlandish and um, uh, radical and wonderful. uh, Known for uh, that beautiful guitar playing and some wonderful, wonderful songs. Um, And this is a really wonderful 2007, uh, recorded in 2007 of her, at at Glastonbury, uh, poetic songwriting. You have to just, if you love the music of of Melanie though, then you're going to want to add this to your collection of her performances. Uh, Not a whole lot else on this DVD, but then again, Melanie's performance, so you you don't need a whole lot more else. The 40th anniversary special edition of
0: Yes songs. I Uh, didn't like Yes growing up, learned to love them later on. Yeah,
1: well, you know, that sort of big symphonic rock, prog rock stuff, yeah, kind of thing that they were doing back then, a lot of electronic instruments, and uh, they made use of every key on every one of them. Um, uh, this was filmed in 1972 uh, in London at the Rainbow Theater uh, and was rele- released theatrically back then. hasn't been around for a very long time. D- this features all kinds of uh, additional special features, including four new Yes songs, artwork cards, sort of uh, specially created for this. Box by Roger Dean, um, uh, and uh, yeah, just all kinds of stuff to to enjoy. Uh, original restored mono track, restored high definition uh, digital transfer from the original sixteen millimeter film. Uh, the, the film was shot with the artwork back then was you know the subtle sort, of, sort of melting letters and all that kind of stuff was really kind of cool. Uh, yes, fortieth fortieth uh, anniversary special edition. Cool. There. Uh, shall we uh, pop over to? Some of the new business or you yeah go let's to do let's
0: other? let me you know let's let's break up the foreign because it's a lot of foreign yeah. so let's uh let me just knock out a few foreign things for people uh just to give them a little uh give us a little breathing room so we've there. got we've got some uh some these are only on DVD and these might go under your radar if you're not looking for them if you're not paying attention, but they're all definitely worth a look. this one was at uh, at Toronto uh, the poet and the boy um wonderful kind of i don't want to say it's necessarily ozu like because it's uh it's not that austere and it's much more accessible but it kind of thematically dovetails with a little bit of uh, of ozu things now this is a korean film the poet and the boy uh and uh, it is it is a funny touching uh, kind of coming-of-life story about a, uh, a guy who is, you know, still... He's still trying to make it as a poet. He's pushing 40 years old, and he's never... You know, his, his wife is long-suffering, and he's still in this, you know, kind of dead-end town, the, the Mayberry of, uh, of Korea. And, um, you know, just his desire, his obsessive desire to be a, uh, a poet is, what, is the only thing that really drives him, gives him, gives him any hope. And um, one day he meets this teenage kid at a donut shop. And um, that relationship winds up changing everything for both of them. And I won't tell you where that actually goes. But the, the filmmaker who, uh, who, de- makes, who debuts here is uh, Kim Yang-hee and uh, does a wonderful, wonderful job and uh, will do many, many great things in the future. The movie is The Poet and the Boy. It's really worth checking out. Uh, Gabriel and the Mountain is a movie that might get a little bit of awards attention uh, here end of the year, possibly. This is from Strand. And um, this, is a, uh, this is the story of a guy who decides to uh, travel the world uh, for a year before going to uh, university and uh the that journey is, a, is as we often say in the film critic biz is a journey of self-discovery and uh it's you know it, it winds up with a uh climbing a mountain in africa and it's it's quite uh, it's quite good um based on a true story presumably so we'll see anyway directed by felipe barbosa that's from strand releasing gabriel and the mountain uh, let's see. Moving through here real quickly. Uh, this was uh, a can entry in the uncertain regard section. The Desert Bride. This is also an absolutely lovely film. You should definitely check out. Um, basically, a late life older age uh, fairy tale between uh, an older, uh, older man and an older woman in Buenos Aires and it's just so sweet and so touching and so earnest and uh, it's just wonderfully, wonderfully acted. Thoroughly enjoyed that film. It's really good, isn't it? It's just all about the acting and they're just so sweet. Um, a little bit different is uh, Mambo Cool. This was uh, did a, quite, a, quite an extensive festival run around the world and uh, this is a little bit gritty. This is in uh, Colombia and deals with uh, you know drug dealing and uh, kind of the, the the grittier parts of being on the street and um, you know how people survive on the street and we normally see that in American films but uh, it's interesting to see the Colombia aspect of it as well and then the last two here La Familia by Gustavo Rondon Cordova this was uh, also kind of a festival favorite uh, a little bit this takes place in uh, in Caracas. And has some. This is a little even grittier. This is uh, you know about a um, a father and a son struggling against poverty and uh, and crime and everything else that goes on in Caracas, which uh, uh, you know is given what's going on in Venezuela right now. Uh, it's fascinating that they were able to even tell this story because it was it is partly a Venezuelan film. It's a co-production between Venezuela, Chile, and Norway, where they shot it. Uh, how they were able to shoot it, I'm not entirely sure, but uh, this is from Film Movement, and it's really quite good. La Familia. And then the last one here, uh, before we jump into some new movies, is The Misandrists. Uh, this is from uh, renowned gay filmmaker Bruce LaBruce. Bruce. Bruce Bruce, Very quite uh, quite well-known in, in gay cinema. This is also from Strand Releasing, who, of course, made their name originally, uh, distributing a lot of uh, LGBT-themed stuff. And... Um, this has kind of a punk sensibility to it uh feels very retro as a lot of bruce lebruce uh, stuff does it's uh i'm not sh- you know it's uh it, it i'm not sure that this is is gonna have a really huge following necessarily outside of core bruce lebruce uh, devotees uh, but it's stylistic and certainly you know has uh has that aggressively um what's the word um hmm. Uh, underground, yeah. not, not entirely underground, but there's a transgressive that's the word. It has a, this is a real kind of a transgressive ensemble piece. Yes. So it's called uh, The Misandrists. It's exactly what the title tells you. If you don't know what Misandrist is, go look it up. That's exactly what the movie is. Um, this improved, so wonderful. Uh, shall we pop over to a few uh, new yeah. movies? Yeah, new um,
1: movies. Uh, sorry to bother you was a really, really funny uh, uh, film. Um, uh, it, it came out earlier in the year before Black Klansmen and it was the uh, you know, it was the black film,
0: yeah, for a while. Then. But it has it has some, <laughs> but it's not. It has some vague similarities to Black Klansmen that created an uncomfortable mm. kind of me or you moment there. And yeah, I, which I, I didn't know, like always that. bugs
1: me when 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 these filmmakers sort of slip into these things, which is completely unnecessary. But there it is. Anyway, Boots Riley, the uh, known for as a sort of hip hop producer. Yep. really. this was his sort of first featured... directing band, debut. Uh, directing debut, which is kind of crazy because Boots has made videos that are as long as some people's movies. <laughs> uh, so, whatever. That's kind of true. Yeah. Uh, Luke Keith Stanfield, very very good in this film. Uh, it, it, it takes place in a sort of in Oakland, California, sort of like a, a, a kind of Oakland, California. It's not really Oakland because it's sort of a mystical, magical thing going on. And uh, he's a telemarketer, and he finds that when he uses what uh, we black folks like to call our white voice, that's so uh, funny. It, it's a thing to learn to do growing up, and uh, that he he becomes a much a much better telemarketing person. And th- so it's all kinds of cultural commentary. Going on inside this very funny, uh, you know, sort of originally conceived movie here, Uh, and you know everybody should check it out. I I I hate that it came out so early that people might have forgotten about it a little bit now. I hate that that whole silly thing happened between Boots and Spike and Black Klansmen. Uh, these things are not mutually, I exclusive wish boots guys. had
0: taken a breath before yeah. he wrote that letter, yeah, yeah, Just take a breath, yeah, but he felt like Spike stole his thunder yeah. and knocked his movie out of theaters with with and ripped him off or some such thing, and look I, look a guy who uses his white voice versus a detective who uses a white detective yeah. to you know. I it, I get it there's like kind of some sort, some sort of shared These are these are but these are totally different, different yeah. things. And and, and, and and
1: by the way, uh, uh, the black folks can go see both of these movies. White, everybody white can see both of them. White people can go see, can both, go see both of them. Everybody, just, can, everybody can see everybody both, can both, of, both them.
0: of the movies. It's okay guys. Just you know, just relax. You anyway. like it's not like anyone is sitting there going, "Oh man, uh, why did they pass that law that <laughs> forces me to only see one of these two movies?" <laughs> I
1: can only see one of the two no. black folk movies. That's so silly and and, and, and a bit of a shame. Blu-ray, uh, special features, uh, you yeah. know, uh, a commentary track with boots and a look what looks like a little documentary film about the making of this movie. It's rated R, by the way, uh, and it's really, really funny. That's the thing about this movie. And Black's Klansmen. Mostly, they're funny, and that's the reason why people should check them out. But this one is, sorry to bother you, Destination Wedding with Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves. You know, there was a time if, if Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves... Um we're in a, we're we're in any movie, let alone in a movie together, that would have so, been a hit movie. This so, this movie came
0: and went like in 30 seconds. And deservedly so. So here's the thing about Destination Wedding. When Tim Dick says Levine. When Tim says this is a movie with Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder, he does not mean starring Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder plus a cast of others. He means this is a movie with Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder. And nobody else. And yeah, pretty much no. This is there there's no one else in I mean there are some extras, but basically this is two people who meet not cute, meet unpleasant at the airport on their way to, to a, a wedding. Wedding that they don't want to go to. And they don't want to go to, and then they realize they hate each other, and then they realize they're going to the same yeah. wedding and that they have a connection to the people at the wedding yeah. and that they know a lot of the same people and that oh you're that person and you're that person. Oh, I've heard about you, I've heard about you. And for the remainder of the movie, it's just the two of them talking. Yeah, and they're talking at the wedding, and they're talking after the wedding, and yes, they hook up, uh, and then they argue, and then they love, and then they argue, and then they make up, and there's it's all. And he is so pretentious and so kind of annoyingly Godardianly. And, and, and that's and that
1: and that's the thing. It's 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 not so much that setup that bugs me. It's just that what it gets filled with. And you know what's funny to me it's the guy who uh, wrote and directed this, Victor Levine. Yeah, uh, big television uh, guy goes way yeah. back, particularly to. Um, Mad About You, right? A big producer, a lot of director, a lot of episodes of Mad About You, which was nothing more than this Mad That's About True. You sitting in that apartment, sitting at that deli. So yeah. I know he knows how to do. There are other people in Mad
0: About You, her sister, and all of that. It, but you I, know, I, this I give the same it, thing. I give it props yeah. for being kind of ambitious and wanting to be gimmicky in an ambitious way. But I'm getting, you know, if you see as many movies as we do, you get tired of the gimmicks. Yeah, you, you really do. It's like, oh look, like it's it, it just uh, if you can make the gimmick work.
1: And here's the thing. Sure. If that gimmick works, you don't need Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves.
0: No, you don't. If that, if, if, if that script
1: true. works, if that story works, yeah. then you don't need them. You could yeah. get two good theater actors and knock that out, and, more, and people would not be distracted by the Winona and Keanu.
0: Very, very true. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a trio of African films here from Indiepix. This is uh, this is a really really interest. This is part of their retro Africa collection from Indiepix, and uh, these are movies that would otherwise never make it to here if they didn't release them as part of a collection. So just know that. There are some really, really interesting stuff in in native languages and in Zulu and other things that come out of South Africa, and all of them worth paying attention to. It is, uh, you know, it's otherwise known as Sollywood. Nollywood is the Nigerian version of Bollywood crossed with Hollywood. The version in South Africa is Sollywood, and uh, that's where these movies come from. They are all really interesting. I I would love for some of these filmmakers to, to make their way out. Uh, for a, for a
1: few years ago, South Africa was spitting some filmmakers out uh, at us. You they, know, they were? Yeah, you know, I mean, you had the... Um uh, yeah, the, the guy who made that big, uh, district, oh, uh, district, 13, district, district nine, uh, district nine, thank district you. Nine, and then a few, yeah, few yeah. years before that, they, 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 they the, yeah. it's it,
0: you know, it's a, it's an industry in flux and in evolution and it'll get there. It'll get there. But, uh, all these, these native languages, uh, these films, and there was one just this last year that I really didn't like about like a tribal circumcision ritual. No. My gosh, that was unpleasant. Yeah. Um, but anyway uh, these are all really good so one is uh, one's called Fishy Stones uh which is kind of a kind of a you know a a, a a a movie about a petty crook uh gone crazy which is um a little bit more elaborate and not quite as well done it's dealing with a you know kind of a kind of a, uh, like a bombing scenario and uh then uh the best one of the three is Umbango which is a, a neo western, a, like a South African western, that takes place uh, in kind of a, a frontier environment, and it's—I uh, guess the only way to call it is like it's—it's it's not. I wouldn't call it like a spaghetti western, whatever the equivalent of spaghetti is in South Africa. Mm. That's kind of what this is. It's a—it's—it's a, it's really quite interesting and very clever, and uh, deals with a couple of guys who are. Um, who who've been a, a wrongly accused of a murder and uh and have to fight back on the equivalent of the revengeful the land baron guy. It you know, it's taking a lot of Western tropes and converting them into uh, South African equivalents, and it's really very interesting and very clever and very well done. And uh, you know, the fact that this was done in, in uh, nineteen eighty-five under apartheid makes it even more interesting. Umbango. So that's Umbango, fishy stones had gone crazy. All from IndiePix, all part of the Retro Africa collection, and that's Africa with a K, as in Afrika.
1: Africa. Africa. Satsi, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, Satsi time, too. Big, big, big Academy tremendous. War nominees, uh, yep. Uh, Oga Kuriolinko stars in Mara, which is from the people who do the Paranormal Activity movies, and the Insidious movies, and all that kind of stuff. This is yep. actually a pretty good little uh, thriller. Um, um, uh, a woman is, uh, is killed in her sleep. There's only one witness, the woman's eight-year-old daughter. Oga uh, is the detective who goes to interview the daughter and try to figure out uh, what's going on. And what we do uh, is we work ourselves into a sort of like a little horror thriller about this ancient spirit that comes and kills people in their sleep. Um, uh, that she has to uh, uh, sort of figure out. It's really just a, you know, a nice little horror movie. Uh, the kind of thing you throw in uh, around and about Halloween time, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and get yourself a little scared. A lot of, a lot of fun. Uh, there is one special feature, a featurette about the making of the film. Nice. Uh, on the box there. God Knows Where I Am. This is a disturbing little movie um, uh, about this woman who's found dead in, uh, in a farmhouse. Um, uh, she's, she basically starves and, mm-hmm. and, and freezes to death uh and uh she's found with her diary next to her uh, and she's been writing in this diary over the course of about 4 or 5 months while she's more or less losing her mind uh, and, and 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 but the but the film is really about how folks fall uh, through the cracks of society this was a successful woman a school teacher uh she had a family uh, but a, a few bad circumstances twist and turn this way and that. And b- before she knew it, she was homeless. And before she knew it, sh- uh, she was completely abandoned by pretty much all of society. And there was nothing there to help her. And she found herself in this sort of abandoned farmhouse with nothing but apples and rainwater and, and winter approaching. And it's really, really, really very, very, very sad. And while not a true story, it uh, does point to the kind of things that happen in society occasionally. Uh, uh, quite a moving film, actually quite a moving film. Uh, God knows where I am.
0: Uh, we've got uh, three interesting films here from facets. One from the great uh, Yugoslavian, doesn't even that country doesn't even exist anymore, Yugoslavia. Yeah, yeah. It's now like four or five other countries, but the great Yugoslavian filmmaker, Duzen Makavejev, or Makavejev, however you want to pronounce it, uh, and it is called Gorilla Bathes at Noon. Uh, this is why we get facets, because they're able to dig up stuff that it, it slips through the cracks with everyone else, including Criterion. And this is basically a, um, uh, a screwball comedy, kind of uh, you know, Eastern European style. Um, the, uh, this, is in, in, it, it, this is all in English, German, and Russian. He's a Yugoslavian filmmaker, but this is in English, uh, German, and Russian and uh it's uh, the wildest weirdest you know let let's just say um it's not it's not your it's not american style screwball comedy this is you know <laughs> world war this is world war 2 russian screwball comedy and it is so and it deals with the um it deals with issues surrounding um, uh prospective reunification of east and west germany now the uh this was made in 1993, right after the um, uh, the wall had fallen. So you're you're literally in the middle of it, and you're 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 completely immersed in the moment. So it's very much about um, it's not looking backward; it's looking at the world around them at the time. And it is uh, it's really it's quite a thing. So uh, gorilla bathes at noon. It is every beard is weird and and strange and wonderful and compelling as its title. Uh, the other two here, equally interesting: Rodrigo D. No Future by Victor Gavira, which is a uh, Colombian film made in 1990 uh, that uh, uses mostly non-actors and tells a very kind of gritty street neorealist story of uh, of delinquency and uh, you know this kid who wants to wants to be a punk rocker, but. You know, they they're just too immersed in crime and drugs and and just getting by every every day to be able to to make it real. And it's about dreams and it's about, you know, living in a war zone as your daily life. And it's uh it's it's quite a quite a powerful film done in that really gritty, neorealistic uh kind of uh Darden brothers style. Yeah. yeah. It's really quite good. And then the last one here from Facets is the magnificent The Skeleton of Mrs. Morales. Uh, by Rogelio A. Gonzalez. Uh, This is a Mexican film from 1960, uh, a period when there was a lot of experimentation going on, and this is a very, very, very dark comedy um, adapted from a short story by uh, Luis Alcoriza, who, uh, the story was written by Arthur Machen. Uh, it's called the Islington Mystery. It's not a Mexican story, but it was Luis Alcoriza, who worked often with Luis Bunuel, who adapted it, and uh, for Rogelio Gonzalez. And um, it's a, it's kind of a um, it's a it's a it's an interesting allegory that centers around a guy who does taxidermy uh, and uh, has a particularly unpleasant wife. And uh, it it, apparently it's meant to be a bit of a satire. I don't really understand the genre that it's satirizing, so I look at it as just a very very dark comedy of uh, of nineteen sixties Mexican manners. And it is very very good. It is called "The Skeleton of Mrs. Morales" from Facets. Hmm. The Scorpion
1: King, Book of Souls. The the Scorpion King is this still going? It's not first one, uh, uh, which of course was itself a spinoff from the Mummy movies. Yeah. Uh, the, the the Scorpion King. Not I, making I, any more mummy movies. Oh uh, no, they quit. Do, they kept, they kept doing these. First one was uh, the Rock. Back when they still called him yeah. the Rock. Back in two thousand two. Anyway, uh, here we are, sixteen years later. The Rock ain't in it no more, uh, and you're not gonna know who any of these people are. <laughs> but it doesn't make any difference because they keep making these movies. Uh, and, they, and you know what? They're they're pretty big and they're they're kind of expensive and they're all they're all you know they're, they're no worse than the original Scorpion King, which was not particularly good. Um, as a matter of fact, of those mummy movies, only the first one was any good uh so you know True. that that get that gets you to that real quick doesn 't come with a whole lot in terms of special features, but you know if you 're into the Scorpion King movies, yeah. Yeah, well, this is one of them uh making a killing this is um this is a loose little um uh, sort of crunchy uh, hard boiled sort of cohen brothers esque uh, sort of thriller about this guy who has this very expensive coin collection. He, he gets sent to prison for something that he does, and he has these two brothers who are supposed to take care of his coin collection for him while he's away. Uh, gets out of prison, comes back, wants his coins back. Of course, the brothers, you know, they don't want to give him the coins back. Meanwhile, a detective comes to town to mm-hmm. investigate a murder, first murder in this town in over 30 years, played by Michael Jire White. What's interesting about this, it's all based on a true story. This is a movie it's all loosely based on an actual true story. And it plays pretty gritty and pretty sharp. These guys, you know, uh, it's like I said, very Cohen Brothers, very blood simple. You know, old young yeah. young Cohen Brothers is what's going on here. Michael Dry White, uh Sally Kirkling, and the great Christopher Lloyd star.
0: Uh interesting movie here called uh this is from Film Movement, uh, a German film called uh Egon Sheila, Death and the Maiden. Uh, not to be confused with the Roman Polanski "Death and the Maiden," which uh, was also quite good, actually. Uh, this deals specifically with the uh, the painter Egon Schiele of the famous "Death and the Maiden" painting, and the uh, the women uh, who presumably inspired him were his muse, were the the source of uh, what eventually drove him creatively to deliver that painting. And uh, it's a it's it's a look inside uh, of of that particular triangle during the uh, the World War 1 period um German with the subtitles this is uh, and actually it's an Austrian film I should I should correct myself there it's an Austrian finance film but in German and uh the um I guess you could probably say it's kind of a uh a uh, an, an kind of in the unbearable lightness of being mm. slash henry and june uh-huh. vein a yeah. little bit it, it has that, that feel to it. And uh, being a film movement movie, it comes with a great short film called Nothing Happens, which is from uh, Denmark and France, which has no dialogue, by the way. It's a really, really cool film. Uh, Nothing Happens. It's hysterically cool and, and unusual and weird. But uh, anyway, otherwise highly recommended Egon Sheila Death and the Maiden by Dieter Berner, uh, starring Noah Saavedra, Maressa Rainier, Re- and Valerie Pachner. I'm just... Half German, and I can't pronounce these names. <laughs> <laughs> that's pathetic. Uh,
1: that's funny. That's funny. That's funny. This is a neat little movie. I, I saw this movie, Breaking Brooklyn, with Vondi uh, Curtis Hall and Louis Gossett Jr. and these, mm-hmm. these two young men. Um, it's a dance movie. You you got these two little, these two brothers. One's twelve; the other one's a little bit older. Um, The twelve-year-old is really just a wonderful little dancer, and that's all he really wants to do. And you got the other kid, his big brother, and they have this goofy father who gets himself uh, arrested, and then their car gets stolen. They were living in the car in the first place, Uh, and now they're on the streets. These uh, these two young men, young boys, and they're taken in by their one of their teachers. Lou Gossett, Jr., who, you know, just brings him into the home. And what we get is this really sweet and touching family film, uh, you know, just about these men uh, who look out and see these young people in distress and just decide to to throw everything they got at them to see if they can help them get through this time in their lives. And it's just the sweetest, uh, most lovely little movie you ever did want to see – and it's full of... You know me and I love my dance movies. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and uh, and this is full of some fantastic dancing and the hip-hop music and, and graffiti. And I don't know. It's it's kind of corny, I guess, but I like it anyway. I wish there were some special features on it, but there are not.
0: A movie called The Twelfth Man by Harald Svart. Now, now uh, Harald Svart is a Norwegian filmmaker born in the Netherlands who had a bit of a Hollywood career um, until he made... The karate, the new karate kid. And Ooh. that, yeah, and that kind of ended things. Um, uh, he also did, you know, Pink Panther 2, which was horrible, Agent Cody Banks. These are all terrible movies. But he started well with a movie <laughs> called One Night at McCool's, which I oh. really liked. You remember that? That guy one yeah and, he, and and one night at McCool's one night at McCool's has that great moment where uh, Paul Reiser Paul Reiser and, Reiser and and is, is, is <laughs> in the uh, the bondage stuff and there's a crate that gets dropped on him it's hysterical as it's it one happens big...
1: that guy that guy's a Saint he was from Saint Louis yeah uh, and, uh, and, he, if I, and, he, and he died rather strange no the guy who wrote it is the guy the who, who wrote, wrote it. it
0: that's who died I wrote it yeah mm-hmm. well anyway Harold Svart has gone back to Europe as they often do and uh, he's made a really really cool little movie there called the Twelfth Man which is uh, based on a true World War II story um, about a uh, kind of a well it's, it's like a it's a survival film basically about a, uh, a sabotage mission an anti-Nazi sabotage mission and the, uh, the guys behind it who have to run through the Arctic uh, running from the Gestapo it's a really 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 good movie and, and it makes me sad that Svart had to leave Hollywood because they kept handing him bad movies to direct yeah. he goes back to Europe and gets to pick his own projects and makes a good one yeah. lesson to be learned let him tell you what movie he wants to make if he yeah. wanted to make this here, let him. Yeah. Don't hand him Pink Panther two and and friggin Karate Kid and other nonsense. Just make the Twelfth Man here in English. It would have been would have been a good movie. You know, still a good movie, but it would have done better business.
1: One Night at McCool's. really neat little movie. Yeah, um, Elizabeth Hurley and Elephant's Journey. This is a, again. I'm, I'm just into these lovely little sweet sort of family oriented films. Uh, I which you know, I was going to say I don't know why, but I do know why because I'm corny. Uh, this is just this, this is just a wonderful little movie about about um, uh, a, a young man uh, who's trying to stop these elephant poachers. Uh, and he gets involved with uh, with Elizabeth uh, uh, Hurley's character, and they go off, and it's just it's, you know, d- and they're brave, and you know, he loses his parents er- early on in the film, and it's just one of those movies that I, that I grew up watching years and years ago, and it's very, very, it's very sweet. And uh, the elephant is like a baby elephant mostly, and then it sort of grows up a bit. Anyway, neat little movie, and you will thoroughly love it. Watch it with your kids. Commentary with the writer director Richard Boddington is uh, on the is among the special features, along with an interview uh with Elizabeth Hurley and an interview with the um with elephant expert Dr. Richard Leakey of the Leakeys Yay, the Leakies. They're still yeah. around, you know. Uh, they need to bring him over to the uh, Los Angeles Zoo. We got an elephant over at the Los Angeles. Aren't they doing? Zoo. A, aren't they doing a leaky biopic with mm-hmm. uh, Brad Pitt or yep. something like yep. that? Yeah, yep. 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 which will be yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I'm you know, looking forward to that. Clan. We have yeah. an elephant over at the uh, Los Angeles Zoo that's having some distress. They should bring him over there. For sure, pathologic. you know, the, you know the one they've been talking about.
0: You know, I I still remember uh, in elementary school there was this guy Patrick. Was it Patrick Davis? I think his name was Patrick Davis. Pat, if you're out there, you're still the, one of the funniest people I've ever known. So uh, this must have been in fourth grade. And the teacher's talking about, uh, you know, the famous archaeologist, uh, Dr. Leakey. And Patrick, fourth (laughs) grader, smart-ass fourth grader, chimes in, did you die of dehydration? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how clever is actually that pretty sharp, for the pretty sharp that's pretty sharp that's uh, pretty sharp so i still remember that yeah, to get I still to remember the principal's that. office uh no actually oh, okay. class good, laughed good teacher good class teacher. fueled that just with nobody's business fueled that with laughter so we got a couple of uh we got some great uh cohen stuff in here uh tim's gonna mention one in a second one of the new ones but there are a couple of classics uh the official story all-new restoration. This was uh, an Academy Award winner for Best Foreign Language Film and quite deservedly so. Uh, I've been waiting for this. They, uh, they were originally thinking of maybe doing a commentary on this, so I, 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 I was alerted to this very early on. But instead, you wind up with an absolutely wonderful extended interview with Luis Puenzo on uh, the making of the film, which is just absolutely beautiful and terrific. So uh, very, very exciting there. And... Um, Uh, the film itself is just still one of the great uh, foreign language films of the past you know 30 years this was the Oscar winner for 1985 uh, and it is just uh, it's such a such a beautiful I mean this was kind of the beginning of the Argentine new wave I uh, guess yeah. this is yeah. when the when Argentinian cinema really kind of started to explode, but it's just a it 's a beautiful look at all of those ugly crevices of Argentine history that yeah. you know um, the Argentinian films have been wrestling with for the last thirty years the and, uh, and yeah. yeah the dictatorships and and you know uh, what the it means to be argentinian and, yeah. yeah I mean it 's really good stuff so uh, anyway, the official story a new restoration from Cohen. It- is absolute perfection, including that great four-part interview with Luis Puenzo. And then uh, the other one is the 70th anniversary 2K restoration of Jean Cocteau's Les Parents Terribles. Um, This is not your average Cocteau film. This is based on a play that Cocteau wrote. And Cocteau, of course, was a very famous playwright, as well as being a great filmmaker. This is not like Beauty and the Beast and the other Cocteau films. It is not, uh, you know, uh, surrealistic, and it doesn't have all of those high cinematic flourishes. It's very much a filmed play. And it's a chamber piece, and it takes place essentially in two apartments but um it is it is a very very compelling collection of performances and if you can kind of shift gears in your head and say okay i'm going we're going in this is that cocteau not the other cocteau uh then you will have a really really good time with it it's uh you know uh the, it's about overprotective parents and about fate and about the meaning of family and 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 fidelity and it's just really really a a wonderful um Kind of a chambered dramedy with comedic edges is maybe the best way to to describe it. But it is uh, Les Parents Terribles, uh, known here as The Storm Within. Um, But uh, it's a wonderful Jean Cocteau film. 70th anniversary 2K restoration from the classics of French cinema line of the Cohen Film Collection on Blu-ray.
1: Also from Cohen, Rodin, this is just a wonderful uh, um, uh, movie. Um, um, uh, And and it's funny because if you're going to watch this movie, you really have to watch Camille Claudel.
0: Yeah, you know you have to with, watch with Daypartu De- as Rodin.
1: Uh, because it's funny. Uh, from 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 Rodin's point of view, she was crazy, but yeah. from her point of view, <laughs> he was crazy. That's right. <laughs> and, and so you know, uh, yeah. and, you know, which way do you want to go with that? Yeah. <clears throat> this is just visually striking. Vincent uh, 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 Ladoe. Uh, uh, doing uh, yeah. uh, just a beautiful beard, and, and he just—he uh, looks like Rodin. And he's, he's become such a good actor. Oh, he he's just, he's just that face. So good. He, he, I mean, he mostly in this movie, he's just sort of—he's just, just sort of lurking and haunting there, and you know, and he is terrible. Uh, and you know, Rodin is terrible in this movie, but but you understand that he's terrible for this art, for this yeah. work, for these things. His Balzac is just fantastic. And they and, the, and in the movie, they go through the process of how he puts together the body, you know with the wax figures and all that kind of stuff, and he melts it away. The movie is very much about how everyone hated his sculptures. Interesting. They they all you know all of, of society could not stand him. Who who stood behind him and told him and told him, do not yield to these people? It was Camille Claudel, mm. the 19-year-old girl who he was having an affair with. He was a much older man. And it's just absolutely fascinating to me that it was her standing, she came into work as his assistant. And it was her standing behind him, whispering in his ear all the time, your work is brilliant, don't yield to them, don't yield to them. We think of him as being the all-powerful one, but it wasn't him. It was her. She was his backbone. And, you know, ironically, it ended up breaking her. Yeah. She was his backbone, but it broke her. Anyway, it's a wonderfully done movie. So, good double feature then. Good double feature. You got to watch them both. You got to watch them both. Oh, Media. All sorts of. Are you on this? Did you do Uh, the... uh, No,
0: no. I did not. (laughs) I haven't done a commentary in a while. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, Elena Ferrante on film. F E R R A N T E. So, uh, here's the deal. This probably means nothing to most people. So, Elena Ferrante is the name of the author who wrote uh, a number of very popular novels, uh, once upon a time, uh, popular uh, Italian novels. And uh, two of them were turned into very, very successful uh, international productions. And they wound up going to festivals. Uh, The Days of Abandonment by director Roberto uh, uh, Faenza, was uh, in the Venice Film Festival, and uh, Troubling Love by Mario Martone was a selection at Cannes. Now, the neither of these films independently would probably have been just cause to release here, but because they're able to tie them together as being based on novels, uh, very successful novels by the same novelist, the film movement was able to justify a really, really interesting uh, double-disc Blu-ray. And uh, the stories are actually quite interesting. Days of Abandonment is about a woman whose husband is going to divorce her, and her life just goes into a complete tailspin. And Troubling Love is a little bit more of a kind of a mystery thriller about a uh, a woman who in uh, in Naples who has passed away under unusual circumstances, and her daughter comes there for the funeral to try to piece everything together and answer her questions. Um, examples of uh, a certain kind of Italian filmmaking that you could argue is uh, does not exist widely enough uh, these days, but still uh, two very, very fine films for the most part and uh, together on one collection uh, Elena Ferrante on film. Mm.
1: Uh, I'm looking at this film The Last Warrior and I'm, and, 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 uh, and, and I'm getting it now. This is The Scythians. Yes, this was called the Scythians when I saw a, it. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. And so, all right. So that—that's what this, this is. A pretty good movie. This—this this is just this, dude.
0: This is a hack and They slash. changed They t- changed the title.
1: They changed the title. Well, you know how many people know what a Scythian is? A Scythian
0: is a warrior, by the way. Uh, a, from from ancient yeah. Russia. Yeah. And and yeah. Uh, and this
1: this movie is about the the last few of them left on the step. You know, oh. out there, and they, and they, they have to fight their way. They have to fight their way home. Uh, and it's a, it's a real hack and slash, you know, broadswords and yeah. shields and guys on horses and that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, these, these go way I love back. that. This was, this was a pretty good movie um, uh, that I thoroughly enjoyed, but you got to be into hack and slash if, if you're going to dig something like this. But I'm check, into I, hack and slash. I wish that there were something, some special features on this. They should have, but they didn't do it. Anyway, uh, The Last Warrior is what it's called in English.
0: So Joaquim Pedro de Andrade, uh, a a really significant Brazilian filmmaker uh from the 60s and 70s who was part of what was called the Cinema Novo movement, now gets the finally gets the curtain lifted on a lot of his very best films, not terribly well known here. Um, but a really pioneering figure, especially as far as Brazilian and South American filmmaking is concerned and Kino Classics has released his complete films in a three disc set just titled Joaquim Pedro de andrade uh three discs and uh everything is here I mean his shorts and his features, and you know it's uh it 's about eight or nine films' total uh features, and then just a ton of shorts. Uh, it's it's uh, I, I guess six features and then a ton of shorts the stuff that I was able to watch here and really really was impressed by and I don't know his work that well the priest and the girl from 1965 really a beautiful beautiful movie and uh, then the conspirators from 1972 uh, also an incredibly beautiful movie and one of his one of his shortest uh, at 79 minutes some very good shorts here too Uh tropical lane from 1977 uh, Brasilia contradictions of a new city from 1967 and uh, Cinema Novo from 1967, which is a half-hour, kind of the, the, the foundational film of the Cinema Novo movement. So really good stuff. All of them mastered in 2K, released in Blu-ray here in a great set. Joaquim Pedro de Andrade, really, really great movie for, uh, for fans of Brazilian cinema.
1: Mm. For fans of uh, Israeli cinema, sort of you know, German-Israeli cinema, in, in any case, The Cake Maker here. This is a wonderful 2017 movie that I thoroughly enjoyed. I believe it was the Israeli submission for the Academy Awards that year or the year before. Um, uh, it basically it's about this German baker who's having an affair with a man who dies in a car crash. Uh, the man's family is back in Israel. He goes He travels to Israel uh, to take care of, you know, wh- whatever business needs to be taken care of, and he finds uh, that the man had a wife and a child. So he was having an affair with this guy who has a wife and a child back in Israel. He sort of insinuates himself into the family uh, and goes to work at the little uh, coffee shop bakery uh, that the wife is running. He himself is a baker he's not kosher, but, he, but everybody loves the cakes and the, it's, a little, it's a little bit about how the um, uh, religious community isn't, doesn't really care for this not kosher German guy <laughs> okay. in the neighborhood, but it's also about that relationship and how he comes to know his lover's wife and his lover's child and, uh, and, uh, and, and becomes. A part of their family too. It really is a sweet and moving, uh, uh, little movie uh, about acceptance. Is what it's about. It's it's uh, you know it's it's and it's one of those movies where the food uh, plays you know eat drink love all that kind of stuff where the food plays a very very pivotal role in the dynamic in which you uh, in the way in which you experience the film
0: too. So uh, really neat. Certified fresh on the Rotten Tomatoes, and I'm going to certify it too. Cool. Uh, the last couple foreign language films here, both French. The Guardians, this is uh, from uh, Film Movement. Uh, no, this is, I'm sorry, not Film Movement. This is Music Box. Uh, music Box releasing. Uh, the Guardians is a terrific movie with the wonderful Natalie Bay, who continues to be absolutely amazing. It takes place in 1915. Uh, uh, and while the men are off fighting at war, the women are holding down the farm. And this is a, essentially a really powerful moving melodrama that takes place on the farm the home front uh it's one of those movies that while the war is going this is the war at home right we see we see that very very often that sort of communicates the idea that uh there is no there is no refuge from a war even mm. if you're not on the front lines you're still on the front lines yeah. um anyway it's beautifully beautifully made by Xavier Beauvoir who is just a tremendous stylist and uh really just immerses you in the in the period and in the uh you know you just feel the farm you feel the soil you feel the work the sweat the linens on their on their uh, on their of uh, their clothing it's just w- absolutely wonderfully realized and um, I don't believe this was actually at uh, at Colcoa, and I'm very sad that it wasn't. But um, if it was, I missed it. Nonetheless, uh, The Guardians, a wonderful fi- uh, Blu-ray from Music Box. And then this one was at Colcoa. This is from Kino Lorber. Uh, custody by uh, Xavier Legrand. And uh, hey, look at that. That's uh, two Xavier's, both of them in a row. That doesn't happen very often. Uh, and this is a first-time filmmaker, Xavier Legrand. Uh, custody is... Basically this is like uh, well let's see it starts off like Kramer versus Kramer and it ends like The Shining. <laughs> that's the only way I can tell I can I can describe this movie. Uh this couple's getting a divorce. Film opens with a divorce settlement and uh you know the clearly the kid, the, the boy and his mom are terrified of dad, but dad is so sweet. He's so loving. I just mm. want to be with my son. And that's when you're like yeah, yeah. you're going to be out of your mind in about eighty five minutes and of course you know he's sweet for most of the film and then it's like it's madness at the end but there's so much tension in this film it is just so so tense right until it, it releases at the end I'm not telling you anything that you're not gonna figure out rather easily but it's quite an exercise in direction and uh, it's really uh, it's really rock solid filmmaking, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. This includes an interview with Xavier Legrand and a making of documentary, and uh, as well as his Academy Award nominated short film. So it's uh, that's also a, a first rate release.
1: Uh, the complete first season of Charm. This is interesting in that the new version of Charmed uh, just premiered last week. Uh, the, the television series about three witches sisters, uh, who who have to. Uh, I'm fed up powers. with witches
0: because *Sasquatch* in the oh, yeah, right Oh yeah, I
1: heard you guys talking about that oh, on the done, radio look, today. Was that thing? The, the the original Charmed, Believe it or not, 1998. Uh, uh, uh yeah, yeah, with uh, Alyssa Milano and uh, blah blah blah. And all it, and I gotta tell you, I watched this series way back in 1998. Holly Marie, Holly Marie Combs, and yeah. and all like, I watched this series back then. It was on for ten years. Yeah, and it was That's a lot of amazing. Fun. Ten years, ten years. You know, they don't do that anymore. I know. It's, it goes back to that thing we talked about at the top yeah. of the show. You yeah. know, dude, I watched Charmed in nineteen ninety eight. Me and a yeah. bunch of twelve year old girls. <laughs> uh, uh, and, 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 uh, and and it was a f- it was a fun show that I rather enjoyed. That might have been like you know one of the early shows uh, that w- was there was about this whole sort of woman's empowerment thing. The thing that I liked about Charmed is that the witches aren't bad. The witches are good. Uh, so there was no hating on witches in this show. Anyway, this is the complete. First season, restored in brilliant high definition, first time on Blu-ray. Um, I wish that there was more on here, maybe some,
0: uh, yeah, I don't know, feature conversation sure. or something like that. But there's not.
1: But if you like this series, give it a, give it a
0: look. Uh, the Durell's in Corfu continues with a third season. This is a masterpiece series, a a British uh, series that uh, continues to just re- enthrall people here. I'm much more a Downton Abbey person myself, but uh, you know, it's a hey, they're they're on vacation in Greece and they're having a great old time, and then there's a little soapy stuff that goes on. It's not as earth-shattering uh, or as compelling as a lot of other stuff on on Masterpiece, but that Greek backdrop is just so beautiful and uh it is it 's in its third season for a good good reason. Uh, you get favorite locations here among the special features, and my goodness, they are wonderful, wonderful locations. So uh, the Durells in Corfu in its third season on dVD
1: uh, and we have the complete fourth season of Poldark. I, this was um, always a fun season, yes yeah. yeah I mean it was a good w- show uh, slightly historical in some ways. Um uh dashing uh, the the uh,
0: Revolutionary War right. shenanigans and yeah. And all,
1: all of that's sort of playing out in this fourth season, all the the political stuff that's going on in the background, which I found most interesting about the show. Other than that, it's a lot of romance and uh you know, people Jane Austen esque sort of yeah, you, know, yeah. you know sweeping off the feet and that kind of stuff. Includes a lot of behind the scenes bonus video stuff, uh which is kind of interesting too, if you're into the show. The complete fourth season.
0: And we're gonna wrap out with uh, some classic movies. Uh, we got a trio from the Warner Archive Collection, which, by the way, now you can't—you have no streaming access to these Warner Archive no. films, so you got to get them on uh, on uh, manufacture on demand. Uh, Looker was one of those uh, one of those Michael Crichton yeah. efforts that when he was still a filmmaker before he decided I'm just gonna write novels and make more money when they when someone else makes my novels into movies. Yeah, which is eventually what happened. But Looker is Actually, kind of along with Coma and the uh, the Andromeda Strain and all the rest of those things that he was he was doing at the time, uh, is is not bad actually. Uh, it's kind of timely, to be honest. The uh, it ties in with a lot of things that are going on now in the in the digital era, you know the uh, the, the whole the issues of of uh, celebrity and voyeurism and anyway, uh, Looker is 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 quite a quite. St- it's cooler now than I think it even was at the time. So. Uh, well worth checking that out again, Albert Finney and James Coburn. Um, we've got Queen of Outer Space with Zsa, Zsa Gabor, which is just an absolute camp classic. Uh, there's no reason to actually divulge the plot here. Look, it's a straight-up, wacky, alien, uh, low-budget exploitation film from the, area to, from the era, written by Charles Beaumont, who wrote all that Cormany stuff and did a great job. Uh and uh, you know, Ben Hecht had a hand in this as well. And uh, you know, it's just it's it's the only reason you're seeing this is because Jaja Borg plays an alien queen. There's no <laughs> other reason to, no other reason to watch this. Um and then Bad Ronald, which is a movie I'd completely forgotten about, uh, which is kind of a kind of uh in in the wake of psycho. This is sort of a, a 70s-era um I don't know, expanded spin-offs of, of of the psycho phenomenon a little bit. You know, you had a lot of serial killers roaming around there, uh, post-psycho and post-manson. And uh, you know, everybody was kind of had this image in their heads of what a what a creepy crazy looked like. And then of course you had Scorpio in uh, Dirty Harry. And so this is uh this fits in with that that whole moment. And uh it's it's a pretty chilling movie, and it still has a lot of power to shock, so um, you might want to give a look at uh, Bad Ronald, which is also from the Warner Archive Collection.
1: Uh, From the Band Brothers, Charles and Albert, pre-hysteria. I remember this movie about 1992-1993. Uh, you know, you know, right around the time uh, the original Jurassic Park, this and everything, what did the bands do? The bands would look out and they'd see what's going on out there in the zeitgeist uh, yep. for movies, and then they would make a much less uh, good movie uh, featuring the same sort of dynamic. In this particular one, dinosaurs were happening. so what do they do? They find a little family. They find a kid. They give the kid some eggs. The eggs hatch and has some dinosaurs. Uh, you know, and um, there you go. You got yourself. You got yourself a a, a, a movie. Uh, it's it's kind of fun. Austin O'Brien, who would, mm-hmm. the very same year, be in The Last Action Hero uh, uh, that this movie came out, which yeah. is a much, much bigger movie. Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger, F. Murray, everybody's in the movie. Big flop, big flop. Ironically, this movie was a bigger hit than The Last Action Hero. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny to me. That's, That's very, crazy. Excuse yeah, me. Um, so, you know, uh, kind of neat. Lots of stuff in terms of special features on here. you got to, you know, if you're, in, in, you're into Charlie and Albert Band, you'll have some yep. fun with these goofy movies. Can't go wrong. Uh, kind of take you back to the whole VHS era mm-hmm. back then, which does also the collector's edition. Nicholas Cage and Deborah Foreman. I was so nuts about Deborah Foreman Valley Girl for the first time on Blu-ray apparently. Yeah, from Shout Select. Yeah. So you know what's up with that? Seriously, first time on
0: Blu-ray. I know, you
1: right? Yeah, you know, this is Nick, Nick Cage back when he was he was still fantastic. This movie kind of holds up, you know. I, I mean, agree. all that sort of Valley Girl speak, everything. It's very funny. Nick Cage when he was brooding and. And, uh, and 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 young and still had his own hair and before he started going bananas. And <laughs> you talked about him in the movie about two or three weeks ago with Bill Duke and yeah. and he just goes just off the yeah kind of off the res a little bit here too <laughs> if you think <laughs> yes, about it. he is. That, the shades of that. In yeah, this, in, yeah. In, in, in this movie, uh, uh, this is just packed full of all kinds of special features. If you if you like those these sort of you know '80s collector's edition movies, you'll enjoy Valley Girl.
0: Yeah. And then I think the, uh, the last two we've got this week, uh, a couple from the Arrow lines, one from uh, Arrow Video Proper, the other from Arrow Academy. The Arrow Academy, they should both be Arrow Academy, frankly, but uh, the first one is uh, Distant Voices, Still Lives from Terrence Davies. This won the uh, Critics Prize at the 1988 Cannes Film Festival and very deservedly so. Terrence Davies, um, a very you know he was like James Ivory except much more internal and introspective. Mm. Uh, Terence Davies made this uh, about his own childhood and family, his working-class family upbringing during the 40s and 50s in Liverpool, and it's just poetry. It's pure poetry. Yeah. It's just so visual and and uh, el- elegiac, elegiac, yeah. elegiac. What's yeah, that word? Yeah, 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 that you, word. you close enough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's it's absolutely wonderful, and it has only increased its reputation over time. Tons of extras here, including a commentary by Davies that is just so beautiful and insightful. And uh, stuff with the art director, and you know uh, some some BFI archives things from 1939, 41, and 42 that are that sort of show you how realistic the film is, how it absolutely is exactly what it represents. And then the other one from uh, from Arrow, you got to get this. I'm sorry, this Criterion. How did you let this slip away, Arrow? Kudos to you for not letting it slip away. Twelve freaking monkeys. Terry yeah. Gilliam's 12 Monkeys yeah. out in a Blu-ray that is to die for, loaded and loaded with extras, uh, including um, the, uh, the Hamster Factor, the feature-length making-of documentary by Keith Fulton and Louis Pepe, who would go on to do Lost in La Mancha, yeah. which is even better. But, uh, look, 12 Monkeys, brilliant, one of the great Terry Gilliam films of all time, uh, Brad Pitt, uh, Bruce Jutte, Willis, uh, based on La Jeté, yeah. that's right. And here's the thing. The Hamster Factor is in, is is practically as good as the movie. Yeah. And I remember you're the one who told me to see the Hamster Factor yeah. because uh, you said you got to watch the Hamster Factor because Chuck Roven, the producer, saves that film from yeah. Terry Gilliam yeah. twice. Yeah. And you told me that. And yeah. You said just wait, you'll see where. Yeah. 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 And, yeah really,
1: it's very, very important. It and, shows what producers do.
0: And it's so it is true. It is. And 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 I wasn't gonna watch it originally. And this was years ago. You said no, watch it. You got to watch it. I'm like it's a making of. You know, you know, like you got to watch it. I was like okay. And sure enough, there are a couple of moments there where Chuck Roven just kind of taps sh- Terry on the shoulder and says, no. no.
1: Yeah. Quentin Tarantino <laughs> has needed someone to do that for him for yeah. 10 years. Now. Yep, very true.
0: Yeah. So with that, we are done this week, and uh, we will be back uh, next week. And uh, we'll have plenty of, uh, well, we, I think next week may even be our holiday show. I have <laughs> yes. to, it, it, you know, we're, we're doing this a number of weeks out. So stay tuned big holiday show coming up. If not uh, next week, then the week after.